since God's still in the business of answering prayer, let's pray now and then we'll get started. Father, you are a good, awesome, big, powerful, mighty, wonderful God. And as we were reminded through Christmas how, how much you love us. And Father, my prayer is that this morning we would experience what that love is like. God, I pray that, um, that those that are here and those that are not here, God, wherever they are, would experience that love that you have for your people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're anything like me, you're still kind of recovering from the holidays. I love the, the first, in fact, I woke up on, on uh, Christmas, or New Year's Day, and I told Teresa I was exhausted. I had friends over, went to bed at 4.30 in the morning, and, and uh, woke up at about 9 to get started because I was pre- planning to prep for the sermon and go and get things done. And I said, Teresa, I need to get all ready to prepare for Sunday, and she, for Sunday tomorrow. And she goes, Kevin, it's Friday. And as she said that, my arms just went down, and I felt so much relief and relaxation, and it was, it was good. I loved it. But, but for many of us, we've, we've done the many miles in the car, the awkward family tensions, the, the sleeping in a bed that's just not as comfortable as our own. And there's good stuff about the holiday and Christmas season as well. The opening of a gift that I really want. Or the gift, giving of a gift that my kids really love. Or, or sitting down with the family to read the Christmas story. The Christmas story, what an amazing story it is. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. What a basic and simple yet incredible message from God. Jesus came and was the fulfillment of all the anticipation that, that was going around the Christmas story. Remember the, the, the king seeking out the, the shepherds seeing a star and, and a, a pregnant mother anticipating a child. It, it, was, it was awesome. And Jesus comes and he's the fulfillment of that anticipation. Jesus was a great man. More than that, Jesus was a perfect man. Never once disobedient to his Father, to God. He walked in step with his Father and did many miracles. He gathered people around himself and began to befriend them and to teach them about himself and about his Father. Crowds gathered to hear him. Jesus was not what the people expected in a Messiah. He was so much more. He showed love to the loveless, compassion on the hurting, and mercy to the guilty. In the end, he gave the ultimate gift, his perfect, sinless life. I wonder what it would be like to be touched by Jesus. Just to walk by and even touch his robe. Sometimes I catch myself thinking, oh, how cool it would have been to be a disciple. To walk and travel and to be taught by Him and to, to hear these things that He's doing or to hear what He's saying and these things that He's doing, to, to be part of the healing of people. To see Him tell a storm to be quiet. I wonder what it's like. 
And I can only imagine the grief they had when Jesus said, he's leaving. It's here where I'd like to focus this morning's message. As I read about Jesus preparing the disciples for his departure, it's almost as if he's creating an anticipation for what's coming. Something, something better is, is coming for you. It's almost as he's saying, what, what I did here was great. But just wait till you see what we have in store for you next. I also want to focus on this part of the message because I've gone through Bible college and been a Christian a long time and been involved in ministry stuff for a long time. And through that, I I think I have a pretty good understanding of who the Father is, who God the Father is, and and took all the Old Testament theologies and all these different things. And I think I have a pretty good understanding and have accepted the gift that Christ has. Now, do I ever fully understand what that is? I don't, I just, I don't think so. But the, the, the spot that, that God's really been doing something in, in me lately, and I think in our church, is, is in His Spirit. The Spirit of God is something that I, I'm seeing almost with new eyes, His work. So when Jesus is is talking and preparing his his disciples for what's next, for the coming of the Spirit, I'm struck by three things he says. He says this. He said, it is good for you that I'm going away. Two, he says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these. And third, Jesus says, The spirit of truth lives with you and will be in you. Statement number one. It is good for you that I'm going away. I imagine the disciples, probably Peter, going, What? Are you kidding me? Jesus, I'm just starting to understand what what you're all about. And now you're leaving? How is this ever going to be good? Why would you ever say such a comment? If you're anything like me, change is hard. Especially when the change is initiated by someone else. In this case, in the case of the disciples, they left their families, their friends, even their livelihoods for Jesus. And now he was leaving them. If you'd like to follow with me in these statements of Jesus, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of John. These passages will also be on the screen behind me. Uh, The first statement is found in John chapter 16. The disciples are gathered around and, and grieving that Jesus is going to leave. Almost like a parent addresses a child, though, Jesus appeals to them. In John 16, verse, verse 7, it says, But I tell you the truth, it is good for you that I'm going away. What's nice is that Jesus doesn't end with that statement. In fact, he doesn't even end with, with a parable like he oftentimes does. He, he makes it very clear. Why is this good? Why is it good that you're going away? He says this in verse 8. He says, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have much more to say to you. More than you can he- now bear. 
But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. It is good for Jesus to go because it means He's sending another. He is sending the Spirit. And He's sending the Spirit to the disciples, to us. And the disciples were caught up with Jesus, and yet Jesus was constantly teaching them to do what He did. Like a tutor to a student, a flight instructor to a trainee, or a mentor to a mentee, I'm putting this into your hands. I'm going to ask Dave Henderson to come up. Dave Henderson has been instrumental in, in uh, my understanding of, of the Spirit. And for a long time, I've been able to see Dave on the high school staff. And, and this year, it was a privilege and an honor for me to have him come and join the middle school staff. So Dave's going to come up and share just for a few minutes. Good morning. Kevin asked me to share for a few minutes how it has been good for me that the Spirit has come. I started praying about what specifically I should share as so much has happened in these past few years. I have felt led to just share a few things that have happened in 2009 as we start the new year, kind of reviewing back through the last year. I'm going to read some bits and pieces that I pulled from my journal, so I'll be reading um, some pieces of that. So back in March 20, 2009, I sat down with a couple former high school students for lunch. One of them told me they had a word from God for me. I am standing on a platform hill confused about what is next in my life. There are bridges, some not fully built, some crumbling. I am to rest and not go forward on any of these bridges until the Holy Spirit shows me where to go and what to do. I am to rest and wait for God to lead. The Holy Spirit will show me what he wants me to do after I have rested. This is the exact dream I had the night before and had told no one about. March 21st, 2009. I picked up the book I have been reading and the chapter I am on is The Warfare of Rest. Okay, God, I get it. April 22nd. I just finished a book called Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit by Jack Deere. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for urging me to read this book. Now I'm skipping way ahead here to the middle of the summer, July 28th. Full of the Holy Spirit, wow, boldness to witness, incredible faith. Have had several opportunities to lead people to Christ. All glory to you, God. I am not only not driving the car, I am not in the passenger seat looking where we are going. I am in the back seat just letting God drive my life. My will is becoming just to glorify God. I am becoming more and more bored with the trivial things in life now. They hold so little interest to me. Summer college Bible study at church is going great. We laid hands on one person who asked us to and to pray for him for great compassion for others. A friend of mine emailed me saying she is, quote, sold out to the Lord, flat on my face in obedience. I am now seeing the harvest of God's will instead of my own, end quote. August 10th, I now have unbelievable faith. Incredible boldness to witness and care very little what others might think of me. Feel full of the Holy Spirit constantly, all day, every day. Crazy cool. I pray with total faith. September 21st. I realized the Holy Spirit was living in me all these years, but I did not realize I had not surrendered and asked him to take over. I think about and pray to God throughout the day. I feel totally led by the Holy Spirit. This is awesome. I feel spiritually reborn, full of power and faith and love and obedience and wanting all the glory to go to God. I have no fear of others or what they might think of me anymore. Jesus, all glory to you. 
Holy Spirit keeps convicting me not to touch God's glory. This is God's doing in my life. I am just a willing vessel. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Do whatever you want in my life. Refine me with the fire of your Holy Spirit. September 28th. The Holy Spirit has convicted me to relook at my life. I feel like I have surrendered all to his will, but now he's showing me the, quote, small stuff he wants cleaned out of my heart and mind. October 11th. Been thinking and praying about what has happened in my life as of late. I think it goes back to last year when I humbled myself before God and openly confessed my sins and skeletons in the closet to my friends and family. I made things right with everyone I could think of. I surrendered all to God and asked. No, I pleaded with God to use me. I was desperate for the Holy Spirit to fill me and change me. November 28th, I asked God this past summer to expand my reach for his glory. I believe this new role I am in is partly his answer to that prayer. I've had the privilege of leading a couple of people at work to the Lord and have had numerous conversations about spiritual things. The job has taken a major toll on me physically, but spiritually and mentally I'm at peace. I have boldness as I make decisions as I rest in God's wisdom, not my own. God, give me more of your wisdom. I'm witnessing to everyone around me at restaurants, gas stations, work, etc. It is just so natural now, not forced, and I'm not even slightly nervous. I just do and what just do and say what the Holy Spirit leads me to. Uh, when Kevin asked me to share this morning, I was more than willing to do so, but I would also like to give a word of caution. I do not think there's any formula, per se, for living in the Spirit. I believe God the Holy Spirit will work in all of us differently. He gives us different personalities and gifts. I do not want, I want it to be clear that I still have plenty of struggles in life. I have plenty of times I disobey Jesus. I have plenty of times that I backtrack and have to confess my sins and, and um, get right with God. I would like to encourage each of you, however, to seek out God, learn to fall in love with him, desperately seek him, and be open to and anticipate great things from God. I, I tell you, being able to see Dave a couple times a week is, is good for my soul. It's, it's good. And if you know Dave and look at his life, you can look and it's so clear that it was good that Jesus has left and sent his spirit. All right, statement number two, moving on just a little bit. It says this, it says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will even do greater things than these. Miracles are tough for me, just as they are for many evangelicals. I believe they occur because I believe what Jesus said. I also believe that God is all-powerful and that nothing is too hard for him. But at the same time, they don't seem to fit my logical way of thinking. Most of the time when people share with me what they call a miracle, I explain it away with reason or or logic. Yet, every once in a while, I hear a story that can't be explained away. The only explanation is that God is at work. Many of us have heard these, these miracle stories from our missionary friends. It's often in regions where there's nothing left. No resources left to rely on. When the resources of this world have stopped working, when when the doctors say there's nothing they can do. 
Jesus gave us this promise. It's in John 14, verse 13. It says this. He says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the son may bring glory to the father. 14 says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If that's the case, then miracles are something we should ask for all the time. Not only should we ask for them, but we should fully expect that God is going to show up and take care of it. God is a God of miracles. I heard the story that I want you to listen to for the first time a couple of weeks ago and thought it would be appropriate to share at this time. As you listen, I'd like you to take inventory of what's going on inside. It was the day before Christmas Eve in a local newspaper. On the front page, it read, Young Man Receives Miracle for Christmas. And that young man on that front page of that newspaper is myself. And that's a Christmas that I would never forget. I was diagnosed of a, of a rare brain tumor, uh, a tumor that was on the outside of my skull, and a tumor that was so powerful that it actually ate a hole through my skull and was enlarged inside my brain. And the doctors uh, immediately, once they discovered the hole in my skull, uh, indicated they wanted to operate right away. Before the surgery, I had prayer. And when people began to pray over me, I had a conversation with God. And I said, God, you cannot fix this hole in, the, in my skull, but you can surely take away the tumor. And even in an imperfect prayer, because we know that God can fix the hole in my skull, but I asked him to remove the tumor. And at that very second, he did. Immediately I left that church and I began to tell everybody in my community that the tumor that ate a hole through my skull is no longer in my head. And I got different reactions. And when I went in for surgery, the doctors had explained that if the tumor is at the point where it has done so much damage that they're just going to leave me and let me be. And they explained to me the severity of the tumor and how I may not be the same. And right before the surgery, I looked at the doctor and I explained to him that he needs to fix the hole in my skull, but he doesn't need to remove the tumor because the Lord healed it at church. And he just looked at me and, and smiled and said he needs all the help he can get. And I went into surgery. Forty-five minutes into surgery, the doctor walked out of the room and brought my family into another room and just in disbelief and looking at the ground and shaking his head and just saying, I don't understand it. And all the different CAT scans and bone scans, the tumor was there. Even the hole that the tumor had eaten through the skull was there. But when he opened me up to operate, there was no tumor, no tissue, nothing. It was the next day that I literally walked out of the hospital to never return again. Christmas is not just the celebration of Jesus' birth, but it's also, for me, a reminder that Jesus is real. I've read in the scriptures of Jesus' great healings, but what I learned through my own miracle is that Jesus is still in the business of healing today, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What would it be like if we prayed, and when we said, I'll pray for you, 
we fully, not kind of expected, or, or God might do something, but what would it be like if we prayed and fully expected God to do something? How would that change your prayer life? i, I got to tell you, I pray all the time for people. And there are times that I do go through the motion. Yes, I'll pray for you. God, help the doctors do something. Help them do. Help all this be based on some other reason. But what if I prayed and I said, God, do something. What if I expected God to do something? You know, Jesus, who is fully divine, was fully divine and fully man, did miracles because he was in lockstep with the Father. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus expecting the same of his disciples. I love reading what happens in the book of Acts when the Spirit shows up. This is what it says. It'll be on the screen. It says, everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. That was the case then. Why should we expect any different? Are our expectations too low? Do we limit God by what we believe or what we don't believe? God's not just the God of big miracles, but He's the God of the, the little miracles that occur within us. What would it mean for you to walk lockstep with the Spirit? It may mean... Miracles within your character. More patience, joy, or gratefulness. It may be a willingness to step out and say to someone at work, I'll pray for you. Or it may be what my friend John does, where he gets up every morning, and, and I wrote this down so I can see what he says. He says, Father, put me in the right place at the right time to do your will. Put me in front of those who need to see you through me. And then put me in front of those who encourage me when I need it. Statement number three. Reflect on this. Reflect on this with me. The living, almighty God, creator of all things, knower of all past, present, and future, dwells inside of you. Reflect for a second. Again, the living God dwells inside of you. If you're a follower of Christ, the living God lives in you. He says in John 14, 17, he says, He is with you and soon will live in you. Before I, I was a pastor, for many years growing up, I worked at a camp, and I was a camp counselor, camp director, all these different things. And, and as I was doing that, I would have lots of kids come, and, and for many of us, that's where you accept Christ, or we have accepted Christ is at the camp, or some kind of experience like that. And they would come up, and we would lead them into prayer, and the next morning we'd be so excited, and, and kids would come up and say, i got to do it again. And I'd say, why? Well, I didn't feel him come in. My answer then was, well, you won't feel him. In fact, you might not even know a difference. I, I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back to him and say, you now have the almighty living God dwelling inside of you. 
I've read a book recently called Forgotten God. It's by a guy named Francis Chan. And he also wrote a book called Crazy Love that many of you may have heard of. But uh, in his, if you haven't read either of those books, I think you should. They're, they're great books. But in his book, Forgotten God, he, he illustrates this point, the point of the spirit coming, there should be a difference by using a basketball player. And this is what he says. He says, Now, this may be a silly illustration, but if I told you I had an encounter with God where he seemed to where he entered my body and gave me a supernatural ability to play basketball. Wouldn't you expect to see an amazing improvement in my jump shot? In my defense and my speed on the court? After all, of all this, this is God we're talking about. And if you saw no change in my athleticism, wouldn't you question the validity of my experience? I think the sad thing is, for, for many, many Christians, and, and I include myself in this sometimes, sometimes there is no difference between me living before I had the living God inside me and after. If the living God dwells inside of me, something should be different. Throughout the month of December, uh, Brian Dejewski, our interim outreach pastor, uh, has been going around to adult classes on Sunday mornings. And when he's gone to share, he's asked three questions. He says this. He said, if Wyzetta Free left our community, would our community notice? Would our community care? And would our community mourn? In preparation for this message, I've asked myself the same question about the Spirit. If the Spirit got up and left, would I notice? Would I care? Would I mourn? If the Spirit got up and left me, would others notice, care, or mourn? What about us as a church? How long would it take for us to notice if the Spirit got up and left? We can do many things on our own. Things that look so good. So let me ask you a question I've been asking myself. What do I need the Spirit of God for? What do we need the Spirit of God to do? Or as Kevin would say if he were standing right here this morning, he would say, When will we tire of doing in our own strength what can only be done by the Holy Spirit? What are those things in your ministry? What are those things in your your life personally? How about at work or at school? God is alive and His Spirit is at work today. Just as there was anticipation for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus created anticipation around the Spirit. He was as if He couldn't wait to give the ones He loved the Spirit. We now live in a time where the Spirit's at work. He has not left. He dwells inside of each of Jesus' followers and bears fruit and power. Maybe you've been sensing him. Maybe he's 
been tugging at your heart. A couple of weeks ago, we had one of the, the Chinese students come up and, and talk about in, in our worship, in our, in our music, how God was doing something. If that's happening to you, that might be the spirit at work. Wanting to do things. And you know what's good for me? Is he's doing it with people that have been Christians for a long time, as well as new believers. He's been working in my life, and he continues to work. This year as a church, as a congregation, let's make a commitment to let the Spirit move freely amongst us. Let's experience what he means when he says, it is good for you that I go. And let's ask him to do greater things through us. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, powerful God. And and God, it is so good to know that you are the God of the past, present, and the future. God, that you are a living God who continues to work and continues to have power and continues to, to know all things. Father, my prayer is not only for the congregation, but for me as well, that we together would, would come to, to experience uh, your spirit more fully. God, mold us and shape us. Allow us to be the clay. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.